Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, we should probably just uh, have an invitation and pray. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how we follow that. That's wonderful and beautiful. It's uh, exciting to watch that and actually see friends from being a part of those mission trips and seeing them there singing. Uh, as we get started this morning, let me encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles and get those to uh, Romans chapter 10, um, if you would, and uh, have that set to uh, um, look at as we get started. I, through my years of being a student pastor, I always reminisce, it seems like, sometimes uh, thinking about high school. And, and I remember still being in high school. I remember the classes I took and hanging out with my friends and, and playing the sports and everything. But specifically, there's certain times, certain things I can remember, one of which is being a sophomore and sitting in a biology class. I still remember what it was like to dissect a frog. And, and I remember just how I smelled formaldehyde, you know, for like the next week afterwards, how it just kind of permanently ingrains itself in your nose and your mind. How many of you kind of are feeling me? I see a lot of nodding going on, so I think a lot of you understand uh, where I'm coming from. But I recently learned that today, you know, here in 2021, that high school students can actually go through a biology class without ever having to have that smell of formaldehyde, you know, get ingrained in their clothes and take it home with them. And that's because they are actually starting to do uh, digital frog dissections. And uh, I kid you not, this has actually been going on for some time. Um, I learned that uh, just really a couple years after I graduated, uh, you know, 1995 to be specific, um, a company was developed called Digital Frog International. All right, no joke, Digital Frog International. And what they began doing is they began selling these interactive CD-ROMs, and now you can digitally download this program, and, and really it's for quite a substantial fee, um, but you can download it, and what it does is it allows students um, to be able to probe the internal workings of a frog without ever lifting a scalpel. And so just, just by a show of hands, has anybody ever done a digital dissection? No? We had two in the first hour. So obviously this isn't done very much, but the company's co-founder, Simon Clark, he said he developed this program because of his own personal squeamishness about cutting into animals as a veterinary student, okay? So maybe he was in the wrong career, but he disliked dissection so much, he said, that he decided to find this least distinct tasteful way of uh, trying to teach students both anatomy and the physiology of animals. And so it sounds like now around uh, 15% of schools in North America, so across North America, now use this and they make uh, virtual incisions into frogs using a computer mouse. Now the schools using this program, they do say there are quite a few advantages to using digital frogs over real live, or I guess they wouldn't be alive frogs, but, but real dead frogs. Um, they say this, they say basically any mistakes that are made on a digital frog can be easily corrected. Uh, they also say clearly no real frog is being harmed in the process, so you don't have to wait for dead frogs to, to come about. And then perhaps best of all, they said, is the students do not need to get their hands dirty. The whole procedure, it, it, it remains distant and antiseptic. And I guess what I want you to know today is this. What is possible with biology is impossible with ministry. All right? There's no such thing as antiseptic ministry. We cannot do effective ministry without touching the messy lives of those people around us. 
There are times that as Christians we need to get down and we need to get dirty. From time to time we need to leave the sterile environment of our church walls. And we need to share the name of Jesus to those in the world who do not know him. You know, according to a research that was conducted by the Barna Group, they polled these unchurched adults, so people who don't attend church, and what they found is this. They found that only 4% of those people, 4% of these unchurched people that they had polled were invited to church by a friend and actually went. So 4% unchurched people were invited by a friend and then they actually went. So another 23%, they say, hey, we were invited, but we declined. So the invite had went out to them. That leaves 73%. And out of those unchurched people, 73% of them said they had never, ever in their lifetime been invited to church before. 73%. And I think one of the reasons for this is that not all Christians have relationships with non-Christian people. In fact, an article in Christianity Today, it says that one out of five So 20%, one out of five non-Christians in North America, they say that they do not personally know a Christian. Don't have a Christian friend, don't even know anybody that claims to be a Christian, one in five. I think the thing is, many of us in the church today, what we tend to do is we develop relationships with people inside the church. We, we, we surround ourselves um, with other believers, and because of that, we have so few relationships, deep relationships, with people outside of the church. And I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning, because it's very clear in Scripture that, yes, I believe we need to invite people to church. But this cannot be our only mode of evangelism, and it can't be our only mode of ministry, Clearly, many non-Christians are not accepting the invitation to even walk through the doors of the church. So we need to go beyond the walls. We need to go beyond the walls here at BCC. We need to go out into our community. We need to go out into our world. And we need to show others the love of God. And I believe the Apostle Paul understood this probably better than anybody I think specifically, if we look at his words, I asked you earlier to open to the book of Romans chapter 10. So go ahead and you know, grab those and then look at verse 13 with me if you would. We're going to look at 13 through 15 and it says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now I want you to imagine for a moment, if you would, that you just found out that you had inherited $10 million from some distant relative you hadn't seen in years. All right, Pretty cool, right? $10 million. But now I want you to imagine for a moment... (laughs) that you never hear about it. You've inherited it, but somehow the estate person never lets you know. So your life continues the same as it's always been. You don't collect that money, so it never affects or changes your life either financially or personally. I want you to understand this morning that good news is only good news when you hear it and you act on it. Let me say that again. Good news is only good news for you when you hear it 
And then you can act on it. Listen, the message of Jesus is the best message in the entire world. But according to an organization called Mission to Unreached Peoples, this is not good news at this moment for almost 2 billion people on the planet. 28% of the world's population are presently cut off from the gospel message. They've never even heard the name of Jesus. Viewed another way, according to the latest numbers of the Joshua Project, it says out of the approximate 17,000 ethnic people groups in the world, only uh, I'm sorry, around 7,000 are still considered unreached. And I guess to have a working definition of what unreached means, so unreached people groups, least reached people groups, it's a group of people in the world today among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to actually evangelize this group. Two billion people have yet to hear the name of Jesus. That is a lot of people in this world today who have not heard the good news. This means they haven't even had a chance They haven't even had a chance for their very self to decide what they want to do with this message. They haven't even had the chance to accept or reject the love of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for them. They they don't know anything about it. But more sobering is the fact that that they are on their way right now to an eternity, eternity separated from God. I don't know if you know this or not, but Around 70,000 people die every day. Every day. 70,000 people die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. That blows my mind. This means 70,000 lives will spend eternity in hell. And I got a question, does that impact you at all? What does this do to you when you hear the fact 70,000 people will go to hell today because they don't know their Savior? You know, as I was preparing for this message, I came across a website called Within Reach Global, and I was trying to do some research, but as I opened their page, the banner across the top of their website, it said this, and these were very thought-provoking words for me, and I hope they will be for you as well, but it says this, it says, there's a bunch of people who have never heard of Jesus, and chances are, you don't care. Man, to be honest, this broke my heart. Because I realize that this is speaking to me. I want to believe that I have a heart for missions. I want to believe that I have a heart for those who don't know Jesus. But I realize, I, just to be honest, I realize this does not keep me awake most nights. Some nights it does, but not most of them. Most nights I get a good night's sleep. And even though I want to be, I truly want to be. You know, if I'm honest, This is not the number one priority of my life. It's just not. Even as a minister of the gospel. This realization, it breaks my heart. So I want you to know that this sermon, it's just as much for me as it is for many of you. And I know I'm not alone in this. And the reason I know I'm not alone in this is because as I continue to dig through this website, again, within Reach Global... They had a section in it called Money and Missions, and it kind of blew my mind, and I want you to listen to it this morning. 
In it, they shared the following information. They say this. They said the annual income of all church members in the United States is right around $30.5 trillion. A trillion with a T, $30.5 trillion. That's the average income, annual income of all church members. So the money given to any Christian causes, so this is charities, this is just things that, that attach Christian to their name. The money given to these Christian causes is about $545 billion with a B. Now that sounds like a good chunk of change, but we need to realize that's about 1.8% of our income. 1.8% of our income are given to good Christian causes. And uh, just so you know, that's about how much we spend every year at Christmas time. The money given to missions, all right, so missions specifically, foreign missions, um, it's $31 billion. That's 0.1%. 0.1. That's 5.7% of money given to all Christian causes of any kind, all right? It's also um, how much we spend in America every year just on dieting programs, okay? The next thing is money that goes towards the reached world. So this is, this, these are people who've heard the message, who've heard the gospel, but we continue to give and continue to do missions there. Um, about $27 trillion goes to that. So that's about 80, 87% of the money um, given to missions. I think I said trillion, it's, it's billion. It goes to areas of reach status. So that means this, that money that goes on towards unreached people groups, people that don't know Jesus, don't have any access to Jesus, about $310 million a year, that's 1% of what's given to missions. 99% goes towards the world that knows Jesus, 1% goes towards the world that doesn't. Um, kind of put that into perspective for us, that's how much Americans spent in 2011 on Halloween costumes for their pets. You know, I guess we can do what you want to do with that information. I don't want to just sit here and throw a bunch of stats at you today, but what I hope that they do is I hope they open your eyes and I hope they open your heart to the reality that there are a lot of people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus and it appears that there are not a whole lot of resources going to do anything about it. We've got to start getting serious about the gospel. And it brings me back to Paul's point in the book of Romans. And I want to read through it again. And I really want this to sink in. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So in verse 15, what we see here is Paul actually quotes an Old Testament passage. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, when he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't normally look at a person's feet. And if I do, I certainly don't say that they're beautiful, especially dirty, calloused, bleeding feet, which they would have been in Paul's day. Remember, they don't have shoes like we have. Would have been around in sandals, so... You don't see those type of feet, the dirty, the calloused, and the bleeding, and then look down and say, wow, those are some gorgeous feet you got there. But this person that Paul describes, they've dirtied and they've bloodied their feet to bring the good news of Jesus to those who had previously not heard. And Paul looks at it, and Paul says, that is beautiful. He says, it's beautiful. And like I said at the beginning of this message, we cannot do effective ministry without touching the messy lives of people. 
We've got to get down and we've got to get dirty, and that includes our feet. We need to leave the sterile environment of this church building, and we need to share the love and the name of Jesus with everyone around. And so how beautiful are your feet this morning? How beautiful are your feet? You know, as long as there are billions of people that have never heard the good news of Jesus, we must commit ourselves to getting that group the good news. There's an African proverb that says, there's only one crime worse than murder in the desert. And that is to know where the water is and not tell. I want you to know this morning that as followers of Jesus, we know exactly where the water is. We know where it is. We've got the greatest news in the world. The news that God forgives each and every sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We've got to tell everyone. And this is exactly what Jesus has asked us to do. I hope by now you can quote the Great Commission because we've been giving it to you a lot. Starting back in October when we did a five-week study of the Great Commission and we've been giving it to you quite a bit since then as well. If you remember, it's Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascends up into heaven. And he gives his disciples this final charge and, and this final command. And he says this, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And during that five-week study, we talked about the authority of Jesus. And we talked about his promise to always be with us. And we talked about his command that we are to make disciples and we're to baptize them. We're to teach them everything he has commanded. Then we did this 10-week study about what it means and what it looks like to truly be a disciple. How we continue to grow in our faith. Are we there yet? And we talked about how, no, we're probably never there, but we're supposed to continue to grow and mature in our faith. And this morning, I want you to see another part of the Great Commission that we really didn't spend a whole lot of time on. In fact, you may have seen the word, one word. Verse 19, and that word is real simple, go. It says to go. Go where, you ask? Well, he tells us that too. He says, to all nations. I don't know if you knew this or not, but you can actually find the Great Commission. We always kind of gave it to you from Matthew, but you can kind of find the Great Commission in one form or another through the rest of the gospel. So the, the three other gospels and then also the book of Acts. And what I want to do is I want to give you these passages to consider this morning, but I would encourage you to go back and read the passages around it so you have the entire context. But let me just share these verses for time's sake. Mark 16, 15 and 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke 24, 46 through 47, he says, he told them, this is what is written, and the them it's talking about in both of these passages are his disciples. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. John 20, 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
speaking to his disciples. And finally, Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Now I want to just kind of camp out, if we could, for a moment in this passage of Acts, because I feel like it really lays out the blueprint for missions. I feel like here Jesus really tells us what he expects, and he gives us four expectations of what we could be doing as missionaries. And that's what we're all supposed to be, to take the gospel to those who don't know it. So the first thing we can do is we can be his witnesses in Jerusalem. What Jesus was telling his disciples is they need to go out and spread this good news locally in their hometown. And that's what he's called us to do right here in Bentendorf, Iowa, throughout the Quad Cities. That we're supposed to spread the gospel message here, that we're supposed to have an impact as a church right here in our own community. We can have an impact right here in the church by serving in the church. And praise God, we had like over 50 people sign, you know, or, or text in last week that they wanted to get involved. I, I got so many um, serve cards handed to me for student ministry. I'm really excited, you know, and, and, and so forth. And it's just incredible to see how people want to serve. We, we, we have local missions who are represented out in our commons today who would love for you to come and to serve with them. This ministry is a ministry that can play, take place in your very own neighborhood. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Goonies, all right? And I know a lot of you are familiar with it, but I just, I want to share something here because I think the great thing about the movies, I think the thing that, that caught my attention is because the movie came out really when I was about the same age as these misfit teenagers, and you see these misfit te teenagers who end up going on a mission, and the mission that they go on is essentially they want to save their neighborhood, they want to save their homes from being torn down by this local land developer who wants to put a golf course on it. And so they set out in this adventure to save their neighborhood. And along the way, they discover One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship. They're chased by a bunch of mobsters. And what we see is their friendships are firmly established as they go through this mission together. They even include this outcast mobster that gets cast off by his family. You know, the point is that love of our neighbors, it actually compels us towards missions. And although we may not be discovering pirate treasure, we're sent on mission for the good of our neighborhoods to save them from destruction. You know, the call of spreading the good news of Jesus, it starts right here at home. It does. It's, it's a mission for the entire church, but I also want you to realize it's a communal call. A lot of us, we, we hear the Great Commission and, and, and we think it's just for individuals. Listen to what this um, writer writes. His name is Trevin Wax. He says this, one of the ways that the Great Commission can be misconstrued is by picturing this command of Jesus as primarily individualistic rather than communal. He says, individual Christians are envisioned leaving home for foreign lands in order to share the gospel. He says, of course, this kind of cross-cultural ministry is indeed a part of what it means for the Great Commission to be fulfilled. But then he says this. He says, but we will do well to remember that this commission is given for all disciples. Not just individuals, for all disciples. In fact, each of those gospel commissioning texts that I just shared in the gospels with you and then also in the book of Acts... It's given to the disciples as a group. As a group. We're called to do mission together. 
So grab a friend. Grab a group of friends and go get busy. Go get down and dirty. Go do something for Jesus. Start doing ministry together. I mentioned last week that our, that our mission committee, that they've put monthly missions, local missions, they put activities together that you can sign up for and get involved and, you know, go serve with the church. Also, one more reminder, when we leave this morning, visit our local booths. Find out what's available in our area here and get involved, get signed up. Next, Jesus calls us to be his witnesses in Judea. And for his disciples at the time, what he's talking about is he's talking about spreading the good news throughout the region. So think locally. You could think right here, what are the nearby counties or states or what's a nearby city? You might even think right here within the United States. That's a local region that you can get involved in. In my time serving here as student pastor, there's been three spring breaks where we've taken high school students to Atlanta, Georgia to serve at a place called Jesus Place where we serve the homeless of that city. Teresa told us earlier about the group that's going to be going to Columbia, Missouri to work at the Christian Campus Fellowship House. We've had groups travel to Ohio to work with Lifeline Ministry, to work with their missions, also to work in the inner city of Columbus. These opportunities, they come along about once a year, every two years. So watch for those opportunities and do something. Get yourself signed up. The next thing Jesus calls his witnesses to do is to witness in Samaria. So Jesus tells these Jewish men to go into Samaria and and share. He's telling them to spread the good news to a different culture. Something that they would be unfamiliar with. Get uncomfortable just a little bit. And Teresa also shared we'll be going to Arizona to work with the Navajo people. Again, it's a different culture. It's a culture outside of our own. Obviously, anytime you go on a foreign mission trip, you're going to different cultures where you, you, know, you minister to these people. And by the summer of 2022, we're hoping to get back into the world. We're hoping to get back to these places that you saw represented in this video. Haiti and Honduras and Ukraine. Start praying now. Ask God if this is something you should be thinking about for next summer. And this obviously leads us to the last place we're to be witnesses, which tells us that we're supposed to go to the ends of the earth. Worldwide, everywhere, across the sea. I guess the only thing left is to just ask you if you're ready to get involved. Because there's a lot of ways you can get involved. You've been called As a disciple of Jesus, to serve in missions. It's an expectation I truly believe Jesus has of each and every one of us. So what can you do, or should I say, what can all of us do to get involved? Well, the first thing you can do is you can pray. All of us may not be able to leave everything right here in this moment and travel the world. I get that. But every single one of us can pray no matter where you're at. You hear me? We can all pray. We pray specifically by name. You all have cards, hopefully, sitting in your seats or you've picked them up or you've grabbed a couple around you. Those have the names of our individual, um, like homegrown missionaries, our local mission partners, our global mission partners. Take those and pray specifically for those. I had hoped to read through every single one of them, but for time's sake, I don't. But pray for people by name. And we need to pray for those people by name daily. Daily. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 17 to pray continually. Pray continually for these people. So with 2 billion people on the planet never hearing about Jesus, I think we should be praying that God would raise up more missionaries, right? Maybe that's even you, but start praying it, all right? Listen, Matthew 9, 
35 through 38, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's be praying that God would raise up more missionaries. The next thing we need to consider to do is is to actually go. We have homegrown missionaries who've chosen to go on long-term mission trips. That's what God has called them to. There's others. God's called them to short-term mission trips, and we have a group signed up to go to Arizona this summer. What's God calling you to do? Is he calling you to go? So I want to encourage you, get involved locally. Get involved globally. Check out our mission booths. Get signed up to do something. And the next thing is this. All of us, we can all send. Whether we can go or not, we can all send. So even if we can't go ourselves, we can support those in our church family who have been called to go. We can pray for them, and we can give financially to them. We can pave the way or help, (coughs) excuse me, pay the way for their missions. And like Teresa told us, we have opportunity this morning to give to our special offering that will help these people go on their mission trip. So again, I want to encourage you to give if you feel so led. Our missionaries, they're also supported just through our general offering fund. So each week when we talk about offering and we ask for you to give, a portion of this goes. So I just want you to know, listen, the more we give, the more we're able to give. The more mission work can be done. And I read those percentages to you earlier, and I don't know about you, but that kind of just blows my mind. The next way we can give is just give directly to a missionary. I know I've had some conversations just in the last couple of weeks with some of our local missionaries, some of our homegrown missionaries. Listen, they could use support. So if you feel so led, go talk to some of our local people and say, hey, is there a way I can give? I guarantee you they will talk to you about it. Guarantee it. There are two billion people on this planet that don't know Jesus. We need to start doing something about it. Because this is incredibly sad news, but to quote Jesus in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 35, he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Listen, God is preparing hearts. He's preparing people for his word. We need to be taking it. And that's the good news. Now, before we wrap up this morning, I do want to put one final thought on your mind, and it's this. Can you tell me, are you expectantly waiting on the return of Jesus? I mean, this is a real question I want you to ponder and consider this morning. Are you truly waiting for Jesus to come? Are you waiting for him to come, to return, to take us to be with him forever, in eternity, with his Father? I don't know about you, this gets me kind of excited thinking about it. But when I look into Scripture, this is what I see. Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, 14. Listen very carefully. If you're excited and you can't wait for Jesus, well, we have a little bit of work to do, and this is why. As this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is saying that the end will come when all the nations have heard. When all the people have heard, New Testament scholar George Eldon Laddie said, this verse is perhaps the most important single verse in the word of God for God's people today. I love it. The end will come when people from every single ethnic group have come to Christ. And here's maybe the best news of all this morning. Spoiler alert, right? 
It's going to happen. (laughs) This is going to happen. The book of Revelation, God gives John, the apostle John, this revelation, and John tries to write it down as best as he can in human terms, but this one's pretty evident. I think this one's really easy to understand. Revelation 7, 9, listen to what John writes, and again, this is about heaven. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is incredible, is it not? Every group, every language, every people, every color, everyone will be standing around the throne of God, worshiping him and his son, Jesus Christ. If this doesn't get you excited about what missions is about, check your pulse. This should get us excited. And so as we leave this morning, I want to remind you, take your prayer sheets with you. Pick up a few extras. Pray. Go out, visit one of these booths. How can you get involved in the local missions? How can you get involved in global missions? I want you to know this morning that there will be no excuse for you this morning to leave this building and not be involved in missions in some way. Each of us can pray. Some of us can go. And I truly believe each and every one of us can give. And so as we leave, I want to leave you with the words of the prophet Isaiah from 6 Chapter 6, verse 8, and he says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and just thank you for this message, God. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your blueprint. I thank you that you've shown us that we go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and what that looks like for us to serve right here in the Quad Cities, to serve in the state of Iowa and through the United States and out into the world, and to serve different cultures, Father, because, God, you've created every one of us, and every culture is beautiful to you. Your son died for each and every one of us. And so, God, just... I. It's my desire that each of us would just remember as we leave here that we can all do missions, we can all pray, we can go, and we can give. And so I pray for our homegrown missionaries, I pray for our local and our global mission partners, and Father, I just pray as we leave this morning we could stop and get involved. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Reminder, have a great day, love you, go love somebody, visit our people.